Welcome to episode 12 of Vox Pop. And this episode, we have uh, another listener, somebody that I've been speaking to on Twitter for um, a little while. He's also a third Wednesday um, veteran. I think that might be fair to say, if, if there are such a thing as a veteran uh, of third Wednesdays yet. And... Um, and has also got quite an interesting history, which I think you'll find um, uh, to be quite useful. Uh, he has spent a career in market research and then, uh, amongst other things, is now a successful uh, writer, uh, specialising to some extent in apocalyptic um, fiction, So, uh, or, or not, as the case may be these days. So um, without further ado, hello, Jason Ayres. Good afternoon, Sam. Thank you for inviting me on. Well, you're very welcome. Very welcome. I um, we we had a little bit of a brief chat before we started recording, and we've had a um, as some of the regular listeners will find very amusing, one or two IT glitches, which um, again were the computer's fault, not mine. But um, we are now hopefully recording, and everyone can hear us well. So, um, um, Jason, we spoke, I think, or we sort of bumped into each other on the twitter sphere didn't we i think initially yes we did and um and i think am i right in thinking is it the is it the um worcestershire third wednesdays that you go to or do you go elsewhere in the uh in predominantly the worcestershire um i got to know um dick dellingpole and his crew um several well back at the start of this year really and uh during the latest lockdown we were walking out on the Malvern Hills on Saturday mornings with a uh, a group of like-minded folk right and then when the uh, pubs uh, reopened uh, and the third Wednesdays um, got going we started uh, meeting up on Wednesdays well initially the third Wednesday which takes place in Ledbury uh, in Herefordshire uh, mm. every month, uh, though it has expanded to other Wednesdays as well. Well, nearly every Wednesday we find ourselves <laughs> uh, ensconced in a, a pub somewhere in, in Worcestershire. Right. Uh, though I have attended some in other counties as well. There's a chap um, uh, called Yuri uh, on um Twitter who runs one in Cheltenham yes. and I've been to that one as well so um yeah they the third Wednesdays are a a great innovation and a, a great place to to find other people um to reassure us that we haven't all gone mad yeah well it does sometimes require that reassurance doesn't it I I haven't been to one yet but I am I'm promising myself I'm going to go to the one uh in December whenever that if it's the third Wednesday, I don't know if it'll be the third Wednesday in December because obviously that takes us pretty close to Christmas, doesn't it? But uh, it'll be somewhere around the seventeenth, sixteenth, something like that. Right. That's so. So I'll probably get to meet you then in Westbury. Yes. No, that'll yes. be good. I'm looking forward to it. I think there's a few people coming up um, from different parts of the world as well for that. So it'll be nice to uh, Flora, who's been on this podcast. I think was planning to come up. So. Um, it will be good to see a few faces and what have you. Um, I think I saw actually that um, Dick at the weekend posted some photos uh, of a sort of a ramble across the top of uh, Malvern Hills. Yes, um, I was in. I was in that photo, as uh -huh. was my wife, as was my son, and as was my mother-in-law. So we had a multi-generational. Um, 
photo. Fantastic. All oh, right. No, it looked yeah. nice. I was. You can actually. Well, you wouldn't see my house, but you can. You would be. You can see where my house is from the top of the Malvern Hills. So, um, if you look north, you, so, you can. Uh, you can. The panoramic view from up there is quite remarkable. Uh, and we didn't even know if we were going to get up there because when we woke up on Saturday morning, there was an absolute torrential downpour. But hmm. the Malvern Hills, this has happened a few times, but often we get up there and suddenly glorious sunshine. And it's it's an absolutely wonderful place to go. The, the air up the top is so fresh and cold and, and there's no technology and it's just somewhere where you it's good for the soul just to Mm. get away from everything that's going on well it's um when i go for a walk in the morning i walk up the lane from where i am and as soon as i'm 100 meters up the up the hill i can see the malvern hills just standing out because it's it is an outcrop in the middle of sort of a flat plain isn't it really so you can see uh, it's a very obvious place but um i think as well i used to live in kimber when i was a child and um Kinver Edge is quite high, and um, they used to. I remember on the on the Silver Jubilee, they lit um, a, a beacon. Bo- a beacon. That's what I was thinking. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Malvern must have been one of the beacons before, just before, just before Kinver, I think. Uh, I Clems, do. Rec- I, think. I do recall the same thing. I, I lived in Oxfordshire at the time, but we we went up on a hill there's two things i remember about that day one was the lighting of, of the beacon and the other was collecting the 25 pence silver jubilee coin that they gave mm. to all of the children i forgot about that yes yes yeah. crikey oh well well we're obviously of a, of a similar vintage but um um so your background um originally market research is that right Yes, I worked for around 15 years for a company called Nielsen, um, which may or may not be a familiar name. You'll normally see their name at the bottom of newspaper advertisements um, that quote data. Uh, They are the largest market research firm in the world, and their head office in the UK was based in Oxford. Uh, And I had a client-facing role there, which involved analysing data, presenting it to clients, um, lots of pretty graphs on the laptop uh, and and playing with numbers all of the time. So it was something that I had a natural affinity for. Uh, and I left there in 2005, but but obviously the, those skills stay with you. And uh, it's very easy when looking in a newspaper or looking at something presented on the television um, to be able to pick holes in numbers that are being presented or to see what sort of angle or spin they're putting on those numbers to to get you to um, perceive them in the way that they wish you to perceive them. Yes, I mean, I've, for, for a while now, listening to, well, I don't, I no longer listen to uh, really much mainstream media at all but uh, i don't listen to the bbc and one of the primary reasons for that i used to be an avid listener of today program every morning and i used to wait for years i woke up to the today program and went to work listening to the today program and whilst it was a little bit um it was a little left of where i was on most issues it was um i felt a fairly robust sort of presentation of the world affairs but 
it must be 10 years ago since I've listened to the Today programme now. It just drove me mad in the end. So I just, I, I felt, I just was shouting at the radio all the time. But where I was going with that was that not so much statistics, but um, the way their phraseology works, which I've mentioned before on this podcast, very clever. And I know it's done on purpose. They have house styles and particular ways of speaking. But the way they phrased, um, when they're presenting certain things that they were obviously of their to their bias it was a fact it was presented as a fact and then when it was uh something that was not of their bias of the opposite um then it was just a claim so um and and unless you're listening to the to the english that's being used it's easy for that to wash over you and just sort of i think slowly condition you that, you know, because these words do, it matters, these words, and when, when people are talking about things, you know, if, if, um, if Labour um, are, are going to create 300,000 jobs in the first, this, that and the other, or the Tories claim to be doing this, that and the other within the first three months of the, it, you know, it's, um, I, I, I mean, I suppose a lot of people probably get it, but I just, I just struck a chord with me from the, from the beginning. Um, so statistic-wise... I'm relatively numerate um, when it comes to, to figures, but it sounds to me like you work with them an awful lot or have worked with them in the past. Um, so do you want to give me an example of, of what you picked up on? Um, I mean, presumably this is early on um, when everything was first starting. Yes. I mean, very early on, I could see, um, well, all the way through, really. I mean, to give a more uh, a recent example, and, and just touching on the point you make, because you, you've made me think of something else, that, uh, which it, when you talk about phraseology, mm-hmm. uh, it's the way that um, they present numbers or figures in a way to uh, get people to believe that it is a fact. But if you actually analyse the language, they're not, saying it as if it's a fact so um let's take for example that if you were to say we have this new medication which is proven to reduce symptoms by 50 percent, then that is a reasonable fact because they've said proven Mm. but what i find that they often will say is um they will say it in a way uh that it's phrased this uh new medication may reduce symptoms by up to 50%. Now, there's two things in there. The use of the word may means nothing because mm. it's that's not proving it in any shape or form. And where they've used the phrase up to 50%, that could be anywhere between zero and 50%. So what they're actually saying could be saying that it may reduce symptoms by 1% because they've not given you any sort of factual evidence there at all. But Mm. because it's being said by an authoritative person on Radio 4, oh, I can't think of a name. What's that chap? Ferguson? (laughs) Or somebody like him? Yeah, who is is wheeled out as the statistical expert um, on a regular basis. Uh, And people just accept it because it's the BBC. It's a known voice, somebody that they feel comfortable with. And, um, you know, if they were to actually look back over Ferguson's track record, they, they, they might not be so reassured, but of course people do not do research in that way. Well, but go- also, 
it's yeah. narrative, isn't it? If you've got a narrative to tell, which yeah. is, I think, where the BBC went a long time ago, they're not interested anymore in 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 finding out the truth and then reporting it to the general public. What they seem yeah. to be interested in doing is teaching the general public where they're wrong and, and what they should be doing. That seems to be their their yes. uh, raison d'etre these days. Yes, I mean, it's this, it's its whole um, tell people what to think, not how to think, which is yeah. pervading all areas of, of life. But, I mean, g- going back to the start of the pandemic and also in the, the years leading up to that, um, I would be you hear a lot of talk about people who are awake or not awake or red or blue pilled i would say that i was probably somewhere in the middle semi-awake um i for many years had become very cynical uh and skeptical of things that were being presented by the media Mm -hmm. uh though i did still at that time watch some television news though i was beginning to to find it quite unpalatable um when the pandemic first appeared uh it was it i don't know if you can remember this because we you know we, we all remember the 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 furore and the lockdown and all of the panic but if you can remember in the time leading up to that it was quite low key to start off mm. with and they were yeah. playing it down. Uh, and uh, I, I was, w- w- was interested in what was happening because I, uh, I think you mentioned at the start, w- what I do for a living now is, is I write um, science fiction books, which mm-hmm. predominantly in the area of, of, of time travel, but I have touched on various apocalyptic type scenarios and, and pandemics is something that has always interested me um ever since um i watched uh, a 1970s uh, bbc series called survivors which uh deals with what happens to the people who are left behind um when a deadly pandemic strikes now the, the pandemic in that series wiped out 99 percent plus of the people so 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 that was a a, a serious pandemic and it, it so i've often felt that if the world was going to end in some way, uh, that that could be uh, the way that that it could happen. And, and when this thing initially appeared, um, I was it, well. It caught my attention. It was, is this the big one? Mm-hmm. Um, but it became apparent quite quickly that it wasn't the big one. Uh, and we've had a few that were were hyped up in the past which which came to nothing um yeah. like the initial sars and uh, the swine flu uh and we were starting to get information um early on probably by february uh that it was highly infectious but it wasn't particularly um fatal yeah. and i i think even as early as the end of february we we, we were talking uh, I mean, the rate that we know now of survival overall is ninety nine point eight. But even then, I think they was they were saying ninety nine percent of people won't die from this. Mm. Uh, and also at that time, uh, in those early days, the government uh, and the media were very much downplaying it. I mean, I don't know if you remember, there was um, some images of. Uh, Boris Johnson going around 
shaking hands with people at a factory about a few weeks before it happened. Yeah, yeah, it was a couple of weeks before he yeah. went down with it, wasn't it? Yeah. He, uh... And then we had um, uh, the Chris Whitty uh, coming on on the TV. Uh, it seems incredible to say this now after all that's happened since, but he actually came across as quite a, a reasonable and intelligent man at that point mm. uh, who was um, saying the majority of people aren't going to die from this. It's nothing to, to panic, nothing to worry about. Uh, and I was fully going along with that. Some people were uh, were saying, oh, you know, th this is quite serious. And, uh, you know, clearly it wasn't. And that was the message that we, we were being given. So... Uh, I my guess as to what would, was going to happen at that time was we were going to have this nasty thing. It was going to be like a bad flu season. You know, we take precautions. There was all that washing hands and stuff like that, mm. um, which seemed reasonable. Uh, and then suddenly it just went crazy. <laughs> uh, I believe that it was the aforementioned Ferguson model that spooked um the government and people into taking action uh and uh suddenly everybody was acting as as if it was the big one yeah i mean it did seem to um i think probably i mean going over a bit of old ground here but i think um yeah. when when johnson went down with it and it was reported as him going into hospital and being you know on death's door I think yeah. that probably shook a bit like sort of when Diana died. And I think people, there are some people you just don't expect are, you just, you know, you because they're celebrities, you don't expect them to die, especially when they're relatively young. And yeah. so I think the fact that he went down with it, um, I mean, at the time, some people were saying, is he really gone down with it? And I, I remember at that time thinking, don't be ridiculous. Of course, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's ill and all the rest of it. I, I still think he was, but but I have to say, after the passing of time, I wouldn't put anything past this government in terms of um, uh, well, painting a picture. No, it's the government and, and the media. And uh, I said earlier on that I had grown increasingly cynical about the news and, and what was being reported but i think this was at the point where i took the full red pill uh, and became aware that everything we were being told and the way it was being presented uh, was being manipulated and we know now that that is true because of all the revelations about sage and their minutes and um the excellent book by laura dodsworth um state yeah. of fear i don't know if you've read it um, i have yeah. yeah it it completely um describes what i suspected was happening at the, at the time uh and it it took me that was the point where i did um cut ties with traditional news and, and media because i could see that um it was it, it it was no longer news it was just a mouthpiece for whatever message that they wanted to get across uh, yeah i mean i think uh, what for me i think what there were two th i remember in february thinking we're going to get locked down um because i like everybody else watched china and thought well it, yes. it seemed really it seemed madness what was happening in china it's absolutely unbelievable the fact that it's happened 
in other countries now and you know look at australia and places like that is you, you really i don't think many people if you were to go back in time and then tell them that i don't think they'd believe what's happened but um i watched that and i i had um i was supposed to be traveling out to um that part of the world so i was keeping quite a close eye on it and i decided in the end not to go because i thought i'm sure they're going to close down um you know in that region and i'm going to get stuck out there so i'm glad i didn't because i would have got stuck out there um but yeah. so i was following it from february thinking we're going to get locked down and then about two weeks before or a week before the lockdown it became very obvious they were talking about it and so i I went out, made various preparations and what have you, and then of course, and and I think other people were as well. And then it, it all happened, um, and then it was that three weeks to to uh, yeah. flatten the curve thing. Which, to be honest, I I could see the logic in that too. I thought, well, obviously the big danger here. It's not a particularly lethal um, sickness, but. Yes, we've got limited beds, and therefore, it could be that people just stack up in the um, in the ambulance bays, and people die because they can't get you know what we thought at the time was respirators, wasn't it? But um, yes, you know, treatment basically. But it strikes me that if you if you're poorly with it now, um, nearly two years in, they are still telling you stay at home, call us if your lips go blue. Yeah. Um, so where's the treatment? They're, 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 no wonder there's hospital well, admissions. <laughs> there was a lot that we, we know now that we, we didn't know uh, back then. And I can understand why um, people would support that first lockdown. Yeah. Uh, but there were there were things that, there were a couple of things that particularly struck me. Um, the first was the reporting of the cases and the deaths in the early days uh, I don't know if you will remember, but we didn't actually have any sort of testing at, a, at all, really, then. The mm. PCR tests hadn't come along, um, uh, and they were diagnosing the cases more or less on people that were coming into hospital ill. Yeah. So the case numbers were were actually quite low. Uh, and what was happening, we, we'd been told, you know, that it, there was 99% survival rate, but these daily tally was being put on the television. I don't think anyone's mentioned this before, so hopefully this is something new. Uh, and it would say something like, there are now 5,000 cases and we've had 500 deaths. Uh, and people were just looking at those bare numbers and doing a calculation in their heads and coming to their own conclusion that 10% of people were dying from the disease. Mm-hmm. Whereas the truth was that there were tens or hundreds of thousands of people that weren't being categorized as cases because they weren't, um, there was no test to diagnose them. Whereas now we have the opposite problem where we have, you know, so much testing that we, we are getting ridiculously high number of cases. So the situation in March last year was way worse than it is now, mm. but we were recording a few, you know, we weren't even testing more than 10,000 people a day. And now we're regularly reporting 50,000 cases every day out of a million tests. So you look at a graph of, of cases and people, uh, you know, without a, a great grasp of statistics are probably even concluding now that things are worse than they were then. But certainly they were inferring a high death rate 
at that time because of the low number of cases. That's interesting. And, That's very interesting. Uh, yeah. And when, when when you start talking to people, I, you see, this is this is where I started to become frustrated because people were completely in awe of all this, and they weren't. They had no grasp of the actual statistics at all. I asked a member of my family who who shall remain nameless because I <laughs> I don't want to embarrass the person in question. Um, a few months into this, so probably last summer, um, what percentage of people did she think that got COVID died from it? Mm-hmm. And she said between forty and fifty percent. Wow, which I I found absolutely unbelievable. Um, and this person isn't completely doesn't have their head in the sand. In fact, since then, um, I've shown her enough videos and, and and other information that she is on board now with with the situation. But she wasn't then, and I think many people, particularly elderly ones who who only ever watch the BBC um or read you know a, a paper they've taken for 50 years uh because you know that consume media in that traditional sense must have been absolutely terrified out of their wits yeah. and you know it, it, it's easy for us to say oh well you know go and do your research you should go and find out the truth but you know if, if we're talking about a a 75 year old person who's never really used the internet and has never done anything any other way um you can't really expect anything different. Mm. No, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I remember. Um, I'm, I'm, it's a little bit embarrassing, but I mean, I think a lot of us were the same. I remember the first week or so, first couple of weeks of lockdown. Uh, I uh, went out to do the shopping, and I came back. I, I took everything out of the bags. I, I'm. I remember taking everything out of bags and putting it on the table. And then I don't think I actually wiped down all the stuff that I bought, but I, I took it all out of bags, put the bags in the bin, washed my hands. You know, I went through a sort of um, yeah. a regime. A um, because Yeah. And I, I, cause at the time you think, well, you know, um, is it, is it, you, nobody knew how dangerous it was going to be and all the rest of it. So, and of course it has killed people. So, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, everyone had to be, Everyone was being careful, and it, and there was that quite surreal. All the roads were empty, and there was nobody yeah. out, and it just seemed a bit like one of your uh, one of these films that you see yeah. on the TV. Yeah. Um, but but that ritual that you were talking about there, some people are still doing that. Yeah, I find 18, that amazing. Yeah, I, I you see but, them at the supermarket. I mean, to be fair, the supermarkets have got a lot better. I mean, if you remember at the start, we were all standing on spots queuing to go in. And um, a lot of the fear factor has been taken away from the supermarkets. But you still see people queuing up and wiping down the trolley and uh, and all of that stuff. And yes. I wonder if, the you know, some people have become so, uh, you know, they're so in these routines, whether they will ever stop now. I I actually think exactly so. I I think there's two. I mean, there's obviously more than two groups, but I think there's two primary groups I've noticed. There's people middle age and up who um, are genuinely still quite scared, and uh, you know, yeah, as you say, I'm not sure that they'll ever really get over it. Um, 
and you know walking around with, I, I, there's some in my local supermarket i see from time to time um where they've got the blue rubber gloves on <laughs> um, yeah. they've got uh quite significant masks on um they they look petrified it's normally in couples and they they sort of their their heads are down and they sort of scuttle scurry around yeah. Uh, trying to keep away from everybody. And I think that, you know, I mean, that's really sad that they're that frightened. But there's them. And then there's the other type, which is people under 35, probably under 30, who have got um, some sort of, you know, um, matching seriously high quality mask on. And um, it's almost like a fashion accessory. And I think... No, I think they're LARPing. I think, you know, live action role play. I think they're kind of, it's a, a, a combination of virtue signaling yes. and kind of living the drama. You know, wow, this is really exciting. Yeah, there's, there's the virtue signaling, uh, there, there's a huge element of that. Uh, I mean, I think um, there are three different, I, I've identified three different types of people that wear masks. So we've got the genuinely terrified you've got the virtue signalers. So these will also be the ones that will jump on any other bandwagon going. So yeah. they will have been the ones out banging the pots and pans. They'll change their social media thing to a, a rainbow or a black square or whatever the, the fashionable yeah. thing is of the week. Um, and then you've got the, the other group, which are the ones who are doing it because they don't want to get told off for want of a better expression. Yes. Um, I can give a, a couple of examples of that. Uh, there, you know, there's a couple that I um, often have a drink with on a Friday night and they are semi on board with what's going on. You know, they, they, they didn't agree with lockdown um, and they've been against that, but they, they did conform to wearing masks where they had to, and they've taken the, the jabs Um But after the mask mandate was lifted on the 19th of July, um, we went to the pub the Friday evening and we were just going in the door and he started putting his mask on. And I was, I said, um, what are you doing that for? It's not a requirement anymore. And he said, oh, well, you know, people sometimes get a bit funny, don't they? And it's that attitude. That is, that is the the real problem. And I've had Mm. that with another person that I met in a supermarket and she knew that I wasn't um, a, a, a mask fan. Um, and when she saw me to come over to talk to me, um, <coughs> she pulled it down because she knew I didn't approve of them. So she, she was doing the same thing in reverse, really. It's like, I'm wearing my mask. I don't want to talk off, but, Oh, I've just seen Jason. He'll say something if he sees me with my mask <laughs> on. So she pulled it down. And I think there's this, there's this desperate need for social conformity and approval amongst people, um, which is why they they all lined up to put them on in the first place. I mean, go, just going yeah, back to, to last summer, well, there's two, two things really. The, when they brought the mask mandate in on July the 24th last year, I couldn't believe that almost 100% conformity. Yeah. That, that surprised me. What surprised me even more, and probably the most depressing day of this entire debacle, was on July the 19th this year, when the mandate was lifted. Mm. Um, and I and many other 
um, optimistic people confidently predicted that we would go out to the supermarkets um, on that day and we would see a sea of happy, smiling faces. We knew some people would still wear masks, but we thought, you know, what, maybe it would be 50-50, something like that. And I went out that Monday morning and I went into Aldi and I was the only one in there without a mask on. They all still had them on. Yeah. That was, uh, I thought 50-50. I was expecting 50-50. And I went out the day after on the 20th and, um, and my local supermarket, which I, I only go to really because they've been quite good in the pandemic through not broadcasting uh, government propaganda over the channel every five seconds, uh, which is Waitrose. And, um, and everybody were in there on the 19th. I think it was probably me and one other. Um, yeah. And everyone else was, was wearing masks. But of course, the media, and as I don't know if you've heard my conversation uh, with Ronan Meyer, but um, the media and the the unions and the uh, have all been desperately keen to keep this thing going. Um, yeah. And so that, you know, if they're still spout, because the, the only thing the media have ever done that's been um, in any way um, critical of the government, as far as I can see, is saying, um, aren't, aren't, aren't you being too lax? Why are you opening the country up again? Why are you allowing, you know, it, they, they, you would think they would be looking at it the other way, but no, they've been. Yeah. Well, that, that was something that um, really, uh, at the at the very start, when when the press conferences, uh, it was, you know, oh, the questions yeah. I was asking were, should we be locking down? When's the lockdown going to finish? How much is this going to cost the country? And all we ever got were these people like Laura Koonsberg and, and whoever. Do you think we should have locked down sooner? Do, so, you know, do you yeah. think we should have locked down harder? Do we need tougher measures? And I couldn't believe I was hearing this. And and the worst thing about it was my neighbours and people that I knew they were all because these things were being said on the TV they were parroting them back at me because I did attempt to have conversations with people in the early days say you know do you think there's something a bit odd about all of this Um, uh, but but they were just completely on board Um, and there was this there was a point I think all of us who who had our doubts about this had a point last spring where we felt completely isolated and it it was like am i going mad am i the only one uh because we were completely you know we'd been locked down people couldn't go to work couldn't go to the pub it wasn't something you could have a chat with anybody about um we were um completely isolated i mean i'm fortunate that my wife and both my um kids are on the same page and i know a lot of people don't have that luxury and it has been absolute hell for some people and i know couples have split up over it um that's horrendous isn't it it is um and this 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 seemed to go on and i I, so okay well we, we had the sanctuary in the family nobody in my extended family could see it none of my neighbors could see it um I wasn't getting anything for the TV and it, it was, um, well, where do you turn? Um, I had one or two other friends that I was in contact with um, who lived in other parts of the country who who seemed to be on board, but it, it was very much the minority. 
Um, so is anyone going to say anything about this? And then I discovered a few dissenting voices. Uh, the first one I really saw was an article that was written in The Spectator uh, by a Dr. John Lee. I don't know if you've, you've come across him. Uh, expressing doubts about the lockdown very much right at the start. Right. And I thought that's he's talking quite a lot of sense. And The Spectator actually seemed to be quite good at the start. They were questioning it, though they've been more disappointing since. Mm. Um, there were other... So I started to look elsewhere, um, and I, I wasn't listening to BBC, so I listened to talk radio, who are hit and miss. I know a lot of people consider them controlled opposition, but there were people coming on there. Uh, Peter Hitchens was one of the early ones, and yep. also Neil Oliver, who mm -hmm. um, had a weekly slot on there. And uh, and they they I felt that they were were asking and saying the things that the, that I I wanted to say, but um, a lot of them were getting a lot of stick for it. it suddenly, we seem to be in this the, the cancel culture that we had seen pervade other areas of um, of entertainment and, and such, like of you know people being you don't have the right opinions, then you're, you're going to lose your job or we're not going to book you for any gigs. That, uh, the same thing seemed to be happening over this. Well, I think the other thing is that I, I just don't understand. I, I every, We all think, we all like to think that we're intelligent people, don't we? Every, everybody, yeah. we all like to think we're good drivers. We all like to think we're intelligent people and all the rest of it. Um, and I'm sure we can all be idiots from time to time. But critical thinking um, and this, I was, addressed this yesterday in fact on on twitter it seemed to hit a hit a a note uh with quite a lot of people the, we seem to have been split into the into two groups really there's the people that just follow everything and are, um, um they follow every word of the experts the scientists and as you say they repeat word for word the yeah. phrases that you've heard on on the radio for example or yeah. or even in adverts you know um and you think you're you're, you're just you're just repeat, repeating word for word what the government have told you is happening or what BBC told you last last night. Um, there's those people. Then there's the other people, um, like us, I guess, who even if even if all the science and everything, you think, right, okay, the, the science that's being presented to me and I haven't seen anything else seems to be telling me this. Even though that might persuade you one way, I mean, I've, obviously, we've all seen another argument, so that's not necessarily the case now. But I would look at it and go, why if why are they trying to frighten us so much? And why are they trying to be so coercive with everything they do? And why are they shutting everybody down? Anybody who veers slightly off track, they're shut down. To me, and I think to a lot of people, that just makes me suspicious i, I just go well, hang yeah. on a minute well, well, why are you doing that this is the the point where you start to think that there must be an ulterior agenda yeah. and you don't want to be labeled a conspiracy theorist because that's the slur that gets thrown out or a tinfoil hatter but of yeah. course that's all been planted in the minds of that first group of people that you mentioned as well well, the denier, um, whether you yeah. know, whether it's yeah. Holocaust denier, which is obviously where it comes yeah. from, to climate denier, to COVID yeah. denier, to lockdown denier, which is a really you're, bizarre one. You're, you're simply not permitted 
to dissent. Um, and this body of people that, as you say, just repeat stuff and go along with everything, uh, it, it appears to me that they, they actually want to have their lives run for them and to be told what to do by the government to keep them safe. Uh, and I, I just, I don't know if it's our mentality, I just cannot see how anybody can live their life that way. It's not living. No. No, but as you say, there are a lot of people that seem very keen to, very happy to give up. Um, and this is the other thing that gets me, the amount of people that go, um, oh, freedom, you know, what, what does it matter? I've uh, Again, uh, on Twitter, there was a great thread yesterday I read on this, but um, Townie, I think it is, at Townie, was saying... Um, if you th all those people that are saying what freedoms have you lost i could still go to the shops now everything's back to normal and he just listed through all the little things you can't do and the big things too so you know yeah for example there's hundreds of thousands of people that we know of that are likely to lose their jobs because um they're going to be mandated to take um and um register the fact that they've had a vaccine and if they don't they, they're going to lose their jobs well if if you believe that that's going to st stop at um, health workers, then you're very naive because that's going to just be extended and extended and extended. You've only got to look at what's happening elsewhere in the world. Yeah. Um, and yeah, everything gets extended, uh, like you say, uh, and it's all working towards one goal, clearly, um, which in my eyes, uh, and I probably figured this out over a year ago um it all comes back all the roads lead to digital id yeah yeah and I, I i'm convinced that that is what they are pushing towards i'm not saying that the entire pandemic happened for that reason um but i think a lot of uh there are a lot of opportunist people who want to push certain uh ways for people to live their life they saw how compliant people were last year and saw an opportunity to advance their cause. And it, it just seems that every thing that happens, I mean, we, we've predicted, we've been saying, you know, a year ago, this is what they're going to do next. This is what they're going to do next. This is the next logical step. And it happens. This is the um, most frustrating thing. And, um, this won't be new to people listening to this, but the, the fact that it's become um, almost a, a trope in itself, the fact that uh, is that, oh, well, what's the difference between conspiracy theory and um, and reality or about six weeks? Yeah. Um, I, it, I mean, it literally is about six weeks now, isn't it? Something comes up. Some, I, um, I mean, I said um, probably about six, eight weeks ago, I... Uh, said, well, the next thing's going to be that there's a new variant and it's being spread amongst the children when yeah. they when they announced they were going to start vaccinating children. Uh, obviously, there's been a bit of a waiver on the vaccinations there because there's been a lot of resistance they weren't expecting. So I know some children are getting vaccinated, but it's a small, I think it's about 10%, isn't it? Something like that. But um, And now we're starting, sadly, to see uh, some children... Uh, certainly plenty more in the States, but also some children here that are being taken ill and getting myocarditis and all the rest of it. Um, yeah. And, and of course, and I, I think I saw yesterday, a it was a press report, it wasn't a government statement, but a, but a press report suggesting, seeding, if you like, the idea that the children were being, 
the subject were now the subject of they were a, both a, a, a disease carrying vector but also um that the, they were likely to be the producer of the next variant which i, I wouldn't be surprised if in a few weeks we have that that isn't something that's um that's being said uh openly which i i mean i don't know if that happens then i'm afraid i've got no well i've, I've got no confidence in them anyway but I, I think that's very nefarious the fact that um they're prepared to give children this untested trialed um medication which seems to work reasonably well with older people i think from what i can see um if they're vulnerable already then the risk reward uh, the risk benefit analysis is not a you know it's yeah. more sensible isn't it if you're over 75 and you've got type 2 diabetes well yeah perhaps it's a good idea to take it um because you're at a reasonably significant risk um Although it's still not massive, is it? It's still in the ninety percent that you're going to survive. I think it's still ninety percent survival rate. Um, yeah. But but I I could argue that you know because my, well, my mother's eighty and she's a bit poorly. Yes, yeah, she's had it had all the vaccines and yep, fair, I'm not going to argue her out of it. But um, young people under thirty, I think you've got more chance of being hit by lightning than you have of um, yeah. Of the being the, the Ill. fact the fact that this was even contemplated for children itself is unbelievable and uh, and the fact that we are just steamrollering on with it uh, despite uh, you know what we know what we hear uh and yes a lot of it is anecdotal evidence but there are reporting systems in place and we you know we can see what's going on and you know i, I don't want to say anything that will will compromise your your podcast but uh, all of these um shall we say short illnesses and such like that we hear about um it can't all be coincidence uh, no. but the general public seems in many cases completely unaware of it whether or not that's because they are unaware of it or not i don't know um i think many are but many choose to self-censor perhaps the same ones that wear the masks in the shop because they don't want a fuss but yeah. my son tells me and this is only one um one school and one class that uh, he reckons less than half had it the day they came in to do it right which does give me some hope that at least 50 percent of parents are uncomfortable with this um however uh another um parent in the same school who attends our stand in the park group mm -hmm. said that there is an, a lot of peer pressure among the children and that there were cases of some children who wanted it and their parents didn't want them to have it who um were forging the parent's signature on the form without um it ever being taken home which is very concerning because children are very impressionable well, it's uh, there's a there's a website called WikiHow, um, and it's as the name suggests, it's like um, an encyclopedic website that you can search on how to do anything. You know, sort yeah. of people adding to it all the time. And I saw this shared on again, probably shared on Twitter, but it was a it was um, a very well put together. Um, it might even have been governmental how to basically how to 
uh, first of all, saying that if you wanted to have it and you were under 16, then you could have it and your parents couldn't say no. Secondly, saying you don't have to have a big row with your parents. You could just uh, they were basically lie to them. Yeah. Um, now, you've got that happening. And then at the same time, you've got, for example, Cressida Dick, um, right at the beginning of the lockdown, making it very clear that, uh, well, we can't, we haven't got enough police officers to, inf to enforce this. We're going to have to rely on the good citizens to police the bad ones. So she was basically inciting, as far as I could see, um, people to bully other people, um, which from yeah. a from a police head chief of police is outrageous, um, and that never got any criticism. Um, it's this really unpleasant governmental uh, license which is being given out to all the usual people that love to have a little bit of power. And um, and also to subvert, as you say, the child-parent relationship, which is disgusting from a government. It is, um, but it's not unprecedented in history. Yeah, um, we've saw it in the twentieth century in in um, certain regimes in Europe. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, many of the tactics and things that have been used uh, over this past year or, or two uh, have been tried and tested in the past and i i think people just simply don't realize or, or don't believe that it's happening or realize that they're a part of it it's it, it is unbelievable you can't um you know i'm really careful what i say to my neighbors now uh because they that i think they would be like that i saw curtains yeah. twitching from their windows when people were round at the door at our house um, during one of the lockdowns. Mm -hmm. uh, and I could imagine what they were, the sort of things they were probably saying. Um, it's, it's very difficult. You talk, you know, I talked to my neighbors and, you know, they're lovely people. When the kids were younger, they used to play in the garden, and have a drink in the back garden in the summer. Uh, but I speak to them now and, I was over there a few weeks ago and, and uh, the chap came over. I was talking to his wife and he was like, oh, I've just been down to B&Q. I couldn't believe it. I was the only one in there with a mask on. <laughs> and he was looking at me, to me, because he wanted a reaction from it. He wanted me to endorse what he was saying. He wanted me to say something like, oh, that's terrible, isn't it? They're always seeking his reassurance, but yeah. I didn't give him the satisfaction. Well, I think I, you get this all the time, don't you? And it's it is almost like um, it's a kind of hysteria and and a and a enjoying the drama, and it's almost like a shared. It's a bit like when you have, and not that I'm into football, but when you have the World Cup every four years or whatever, yeah, and everybody talks about football. Like I find it really tiresome because I'm not into football, but yeah, um, and everyone puts um, puts a scarf on the on the car or something, yeah. and and it's almost. It's almost like a lot of people have, I think, from the banging the pans at the beginning. Yeah. It's almost like a we're all in this together, a kind of a wartime thing. Which it's tribal. Yeah, exactly. It's tribal. And uh, your football example, I mean, you see it in the crowd, um, you know, if you're at a football match uh, and you are surrounded by all supporters of the same team, uh, it, you're, you're part of, of that tribe. And it, it, it is a similar mentality. Well, we're, it's interesting. I've, I've seen a, a fantastic video that was going around. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, of uh, there's a, a waiting room full of people. It's all been set up, 
So yeah. there's there's one person in the waiting room, I think it's for the doctors, and they don't realise it's set up. So um, they're all sat there, and um, there's probably 12 people there. And then a buzzer goes, and everybody stands up. And she's sat down reading a book. So she looks around and sort of puzzled. And then everyone sits down. And then the next time, 30 seconds later, the buzzer goes again. Everyone stands up. So she puts a book down and stands up. Yeah. Have you have you seen this? Yes, video? I have. Yeah. And, and basically it goes through. Everybody leaves the room. So everyone's gone. And then the buzzer's still going. And she's on her own. And she still stands up on her own. And then somebody, I'm only saying this for everybody else who's listening. And then somebody, yeah. somebody else comes in. And sits down next to her. So there's now two people in there. The buzzer goes and she stands up and he looks at her and goes, um, what are you doing? And she says, I, I don't know, but everyone stands up when the buzzer goes off. Then the buzzer goes off again 30 seconds later. So they both stand up. And you think, well, that says a lot about human nature. <laughs> yeah. I think if I was in that situation, I was the second guy that, that you described. You said, why are you standing up? <laughs> I wouldn't stand up though because well we wouldn't would we? No, uh, but, I don't think but, we would but, most but, of the time anyway. Of, no, a lot of people have done, but um, I, I think um, those of us that that wouldn't stand up, but uh, we we all do have certain characteristics. We're we're critical thinkers, but um, we we I, I don't know. I, I am quite independently minded, and um, I've noticed there's quite a lot of people like us who are self-employed. Uh, yes, because perhaps uh, the one reason why I became self-employed was because I I found the conformity of the the office and the workplace um, w was not for me. Yeah, and I imagine yeah. it must be. Quite, I, I can't imagine working for a firm now because even when I left there in in 2005 there there was the signs of a virtue signaling and such like i can imagine it's probably a lot worse now uh i, I can't imagine well if, this critical race theory that's uh knocking around now yeah if somebody it's i used to balk and be that awkward i mean i haven't worked for somebody for a long time but um when i was in my twen late 20s say and i was working for a big uh corporate uh you know beer bath or whatever and um we used to get personnel would say oh we've all got to come down to this or that um um one day seminar on lifting boxes or something and you just be like yeah. oh my god really i've got i've worked off my feet i'm doing 70 hours a week and i've got to go and spend an afternoon in a four-star hotel on the m6 learning how to lift a box <laughs> Um, yeah. So I was always the one in the corner, sort of frowning and and being miserable. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if it was critical it was, race theory, yeah. I think I'd be I'd be probably arrested. <laughs> but I mean, the way the culture is now, you, you've got to conform. I mean, you've only got to look at the the taking of the knee at, uh, for sports people. I mean, there was that cricketer last week. I don't know if you picked up. Yeah, on that. So South African was he? Uh, yeah, uh, and he, he he didn't want to do it. Um, and there was such a furore over it. And then the worst the worst thing you can do in this situation, I think, is cave in. And he just then issued a, a grovelling apology the next day and said he was going to do it from now on, which is a, a, a real cop-out. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's harder for him because being South yeah. African, South Africa obviously has a history um, to deal with. But that said, you would think he's bright enough to realise 
well, if I this is a big thing. If I'm going to take a principled stance here, yeah. I need to take it, and I need to decide whether I'm going to explain myself or whether I'm just going to say I'm not doing it. And then you yeah. have to stick by it, don't you? Because um, he must have known that his career was on the line if he does yes, something Yes, like well, that. I mean, a lot of people's careers have been on the line in all sorts of um, spheres, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, I do have the utmost admiration for people in the public eye who, who, who won't cave in to to whatever the the orthodoxy is uh but we are so dangerously moving towards a society where in order to get anywhere in any field you have to have certain opinions you have to say the right things you have to display the right things um anybody starting out in sport or entertainment or music now will 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 have to follow these rules from the very beginning because you could even be called out for something you tweeted when you were 15. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I, you know, I think we are creating a very bland world where everything is the same in so many ways. Um, and one of the things that's happened during the pandemic is small independent businesses have suffered at the hands uh, of big business. And... You know, it's hastened the demise of the high street. I don't want to walk to a town where I've got a choice of Starbucks or Costa Coffee. Yeah. Uh, and there are no independent greengrocers, butchers, or any of that left. Uh, and the way the world's going, it it's one huge, bland ball of everything is the same. And I think it was the... The amusing is that the, the, the talk of diversity and, and we need more diversity. Well, what, what we're actually doing uh, with the world is making it less and less diverse. Exactly, exactly. It 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 is because well, this is the whole point of globalization, isn't it? And it's I was listening yeah. um, on uh, the radio. I must have been talk radio. That's the only only place I do listen from time to time, and yeah. um, they were that point was being made, and the fact and also the fact that. Um, um, they were talking about labour costs, and um, actually, I tell you what it was. I think it was Hearts of Oak, uh, which is the podcast, um, which is worth listening to. But he was talking about the fact that at somewhere along the line, the 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 idea that um, nationhood and um, I mean, the conversation is never had now. When we had the HTV driver shortage alleged that suddenly seems to have cured itself, but when we had that, it was all about well, we need to get we need to uh, get more drivers in um, from Romania, or we need to issue more visas, or um, or we could train some more drivers, but they want a big pay rise. And and it, um, the, the point was made well, we didn't always used to think in those simple terms. It used to be well, what does the nation need? Um, you know, who do we, when we take the census, we work out from that how we plan for the future. And, you know, uh, how many people go to university and how many people go into the trades and have we got enough people to build houses? And, okay, I'm all for open market and you want people to set their own rates of pay based on what they're worth in the marketplace. But it wasn't boiling down to treating people like a business resource. And 
that had not properly occurred to me until they made the point. And it was that people now are not talked about as people or as citizens or as subjects in this country. They're talked about as just another resource. And if you can get that resource from Romania or from Bangladesh, then let's bring them in from there. Um, and, and sod the people that are already living here. And I thought that was a really good point, an old-fashioned um, conservative point, if you like, that has been lost in this sort of globalised economic, the way we look at everything from a from a business perspective. Um, yes, I quite agree. And then they, they don't um, foresee the problems that it's going to create in the future. Yeah. So part of the reason why there are shortages in 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 care homes and places like that is because um, many of them uh, went home during the pandemic. Uh, I know that from from a, a lot of the places like the Philippines, I believe there's a lot that work in care homes. Yeah. Uh, uh, and if we're not training our own people, we're just bringing people in. What happens when we can't get those people? Or exactly. they go somewhere else. There's, well, no, there's also, no forward planning, is there? Is it, no. They don't look at um, how we're going to develop this over five or ten years. It's just let's just do a quick fix now. Well, this is it. I mean, it, it is. It does boil down to I think probably two things. The first thing is that the media don't. The media go for the gotcha, so politicians can't explain a subtle plan. Um, because the media just want to catch them out on the gotcha. So I think that's definitely relevant. And then politicians, for that reason, have been conditioned to just be short-term thinking, just thinking, how am I going to make myself look good this week? How do I keep my job? You know, um, and... I think that is an interesting point, because when it comes to the whole subject of of climate change, uh, you look at how Boris Johnson uh, bangs on about doing this by 2030 and this by 2035 and it, it it's the fashionable thing isn't it to to go on about net zero carbon climate change etc we're going to do this we're going to do this we're going to do this because it's a big win for him he can say all of this stuff he's not going to be around when the time comes to deliver it he, he's in a win-win situation he's saying what he thinks everybody wants to hear um but come 2035, when the whole thing's in complete disarray and it hasn't worked because they didn't cost it properly or, you know, the the resources they were going to invest in um, come to nothing and we've got no energy because they, uh, they've they invested it into the wrong types of energy, you know, he won't be in charge of the country then. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the fact as well is that whilst, you, you know, 2030 or... Um, uh, COP26 and 2030 and uh, 2050 and all these different dates they're not 2030 is not far away now it's only eight years away um you know, just over eight years away so I think as well given the immense um targets he's set for things like net zero and um um what he's expecting everybody to to do I think people are starting to I hope people are starting to wake up to the fact that what this is actually going to do is put us back uh, possibly over 100 years in terms of our quality of life, um, how we live. You know, in cold houses, um, 
we're not going to be traveling we're not going to be people are going to be local uh vast majority of people won't have transport they won't have a car uh, everyone keeps saying oh well you know electric cars will all have electric cars they'll get cheaper as they build more um well first of all we haven't got the lithium supplies to produce all these cars and secondly how are we going to charge them all we can't even we can't even yeah. guarantee we can have electricity for our houses this winter so when everybody is on electric heating and everybody has got electric cars and everybody is running fi um, 5g internet of things which is increasing power draw by 20 or 30 percent on each house how are we going to um, sustain all of this it's just not going to happen the fact is we're going to have an elite of people driving around in their teslas uh traveling on private jets and then we're going to have the rest of us mugs um yeah you know uh eking a living in in our pod um either in a city or or completely divorced from society in a in a hut in the woods <laughs> Not yeah. a very appealing uh future uh, and it's also worth pointing out that while we're doing all of this um other countries um such as china are still merrily burning away their coal and becoming ever more competitive yeah um against us and um, laughing at us all the yeah, way to the bank. i mean I, I i had a little um as you do on twitter i had a little exchange on twitter with uh, some american person who i'm guessing was probably quite a bit younger than me and she was going it was all about cop 26 and she was going on about it, it has to happen the planet's going to die we need to all the normals again repeating exactly what's yeah. been said to her through school and everything you know and um and i just replied with them um, um uh, tweets sent by my iphone produced in china in a factory powered by coal yeah uh, i know, know. It's just, but but again, it's the same as with the COVID. When you try to point these things out, they just—it's just fingers in the ears. Time, they don't want to hear any inconvenient truths um, that are going to destroy their side of the argument. And yeah. their side of the argument is not very strong in no. a lot of these cases. So, Jason. Um we've been touching there on climate change but also we started with covid so we've had a fairly full couple of years in terms of calamities that are supposedly happening um and whether or not however you feel about climate change and how whether it's happening whether we're responsible for it whether we can do anything about it um i think what i've noticed is that um the way that it's being presented to us and the way that it's having an impact people are already talking about the likelihood of having climate lockdowns which i find very um worrying and totally illogical but then also if you look at it you look at these vaccine passports and tests and everything else if you want to travel um i would say within the next six months i think if you want to travel abroad in most scenarios you're going to have to have had the vaccine and have a passport proving that fact which is very disappointing for me because um i have no intention of of doing either but um so we've got the vaccine passport but i know we'd mentioned we talked about digital ids that's something i think we both share where do you think the vaccine passport is going to go what's your with your writer's head on with your sort of imagination in full flow 
Um, where do you think the vaccine? Why do you think the vaccine passport's been introduced, and what's it going to become? Okay, well, I think that foreign travel will possibly be the least of our worries ongoing. Uh, you talked about climate change lockdowns. The whole purpose of the vaccine passport, as far as I can tell, is to force people to get this app on their smartphone, which can be expanded to all manner of other things. Now, I believe this has been coming for a while, and the campaign to get the app has been preceded by what I perceive to be um, a push to force everybody, in the first instance, to get a mobile phone, and in the second instance, um, to become dependent on apps. So just to give you some examples of, of where this has been coming from, uh, I've noticed over the last few, well, couple of years in particular, that if you want to have to fill in any sort of online form um, for anything at all, so say to update your medical records, uh, to sign up for a bank account, uh, anything like that. Uh, you, As you know, you fill in an online form, you've got to put in your name, date of birth, those type of details. Mm. And one of the fields that they always have is for your phone number. Now, one of the things that's happened in many cases is that that phone number now begins with a field uh, which where the numbers 0 and 7 are locked in. So you can no longer uh, give them a landline number. You, you uh, And the, the, the field is one of them that's marked with an asterisk to be compulsory. So you can't, I cannot update my medical records now and I cannot update my bank details without providing an 07 number. So that is effectively saying uh, we are at the point where we consider that everybody should have a mobile phone. Right. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing I've noticed is the pushing of the app. And I don't just mean the NHS app. I mean the app for anything. Uh, and you may have noticed this as well, that every time you go onto any sort of online website, again, it could be bank, it could be uh, um, food, anything else. I do everything on my laptop because I work at home. I've got the desk in front of me. But almost without fail, always it's, have you considered getting our app? Oh, if you sign up for our app, you can get an extra 10,000 loyalty points. Or um, it's so much easier if you use the app. Mm. Um, and I know, for example, the mobile phone company that I use, their online website is really difficult to navigate. And they're pushing you towards the app. And to give an example where it became necessary, um, I to avoid where possible ordering food from chain restaurants or, or going to any, we can come on to that as well, because I try and live a, a kind of independent lifestyle, but occasionally um, I do need to order from one. And it was my son's birthday a couple of months ago, and he wanted um, pizza from one of the well-known pizza delivery changes uh, chains for the mm -hmm. evening. Um, so uh, I attempted to um, order it online using their website and it was just impossible. Um, the website was there, but it kept falling over. Um, I was putting things in, it wouldn't accept it. 
So I rang up the store and they said, sorry, we don't take orders over the phone anymore. Uh, you have to use the app. So reluctantly, I was forced to download their app um, and put it on my phone and, and use it. Otherwise, my son wouldn't have got what he wanted for his, his birthday meal. Uh, but I'm seeing more and more of this. So we have a situation where they are trying to get this mindset in people that you've got to have a smartphone, you've got to have apps, or you know, you 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 you're not going to get on um, in life or be able to do the things that you want to do. Now, the the NHS app and the digital pass is the next logical step in that, and I believe it's going to progress on to other things. And to tie into your climate change lockdown, uh, the app can be built to control all manner of things that we do. Uh, one of the things that we hear talked about a great deal is is the consumption of meat um, or alcohol or anything else that could be seen as good for your health or good for the planet could eventually be built into this app. Yeah. So you can't... Well, and also, of course, the, the critical thing here is... Um, banking or money, uh, digital money, which yes. Rishi Sudak was talking about the other day. I mean, this is a reality. It's going to happen. Um, yes. And once you've got digital money, and there's there's some people on podcasts who have done some great uh, podcasts on this. James Denningpole spoke to, and I forgot the name again, um, double barrel name. Um, she's an ex- Catherine Austin Fitz. That's the one, yeah, ex-federal yeah. The U.S. federal government yeah. um, housing, I think she was in, um, and she's hit the nail on the head perfectly. But once you've got digital money, um, they could do all sorts of things. You could have, as in, they're doing this in China already. Your money, you have credits on your phone or on your account, which is accessed through your phone, and uh, your money expires over time. Yes. Um, so you have a certain period of time to spend it. You can't spend it, as you say, with meat. Well, you can only buy yeah. two hundred grams of meat a week. Yeah, and it will um, be like it will be like rationing. Yeah, um, which, and, which, funnily enough, they were talking about this morning. Yes. Prince Charles was mentioning it this morning. And yeah, yeah, and, and Joanna, Joanna Lumley. Lumley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, this won't be for everybody, uh, uh, as we know. But I, I don't want to go down the whole them and us conversation. But we, but we, we know how that works. Um, and yeah, I think the danger of digital currency coming in is is very real. And I've listened to many podcasts on the subject, and there's quite a f- many people that believe that the way they will do it is by effectively destroying the existing currencies, which yep. if they wanted to do so, they've certainly been doing a good <laughs> job of going about it this last uh, couple well, of years. The WEF and all of that side of things, uh, which I've I've looked at a lot of their videos from very yeah. early on, actually, from March, April 2020, I was looking at, that's when I really woke up to what was happening. Um, but if you look at their videos, they tell you what they're going to do. Yeah, I and, know. Um, and uh, you look at things like, um, you know, the, the great the great reset, as Klaus yeah. Schwab would say. But the, he, he says COVID is a great opportunity to, um, to, to reset the this, that, the other. And then when you look at what they want to do in the reset, yeah, currency is up there. Um, having a sort of a digital central bank controlled currency. And and if they're going to blow up, it strikes me that if you 
if you knew that you had a house full of thirty million pounds worth of currency, and that, that currency nice. was going to be yeah, wouldn't it? And that currency was going to be going out. It was going to be worthless in three months' time. So. Um, uh, it's not going to be worth only three months because they're changing the currency. What would you do? Well, you'd just go out and blow it, wouldn't you? You'd just go, right, yeah. okay, well, I may as well just go out and absolutely blow it. And it strikes me that's what every government in the world is doing at the moment. Yeah. Which um, is a worry. It, it, it's a great worry. I mean, I, as individuals, uh, all we can do is rail against it the best way we can. I mean, I, I have certain things I've started doing. I, I, it's the first day of November today, and I'm quite pleased that um, I set myself a, tar- a, a goal at the beginning of October, which was to only deal in cash for the whole month, right. which I did. Obviously not for paying the mortgage and such like, but yeah. um, every purchase I made out and about, I, I u- managed to use cash for, which I'm quite pleased about because it's not mm. always possible. Uh, I had a couple of car parks in the summer, which I discovered that the machines no longer took coins and you had to pay by card. And it was number plate recognition, which would have been awkward if I'd turned up there without my wallet and only had cash. Mm. Uh, But I think we're going to see it more and more. And you you see it again, you, you know, we talk about, well, we haven't mentioned it, but the nudge unit and nudging people and all this subliminal stuff everywhere i noticed on the um till in the supermarket i was in this morning um on the the plastic screen there was a sign saying um please be considerate and use cash where you can um and it no sorry the opposite please be considerate and use card where you can um and uh and it's like what why why is is that that considerate (laughs) yeah but but if you think back if you uh, and, you know, when you look at the pandemic, you could just you you see signs all the time, like they raise the card limit from the from thirty to forty five to one hundred for contactless, yeah. and then there was the whole during the pandemic use a card because cash is contaminated and dirty, uh, and you 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 see that agenda uh, again being pushed. But I want if digital ID is in and it's all done through the phone, uh, nothing, no transaction that any of us ever make again will be private. And that it's not like, well, you can say, okay, well, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I, I don't do anything wrong. What have I got to worry about? But some people don't seem concerned, but I, I personally value my privacy. And I like the idea that I can uh, walk out of my house without a phone, without a wallet, just with money in my pocket, and I can go to a market and I can choose the fruit and vegetables I want loose that haven't been sat in a warehouse. They've come from Covent Garden that morning and I can go to a butcher um, and I can choose meat that's, you know, come from somewhere local and I can hand over my money uh, and bring those things home and cook a meal from scratch. And nobody knows where I went. Nobody knows what I bought because that's my private business. Exactly. And, and well, first of all, you shouldn't have to justify your going about your business as a free uh, man. Well, I mean, yeah. and until two years ago, none of this was even considered. It was just done. But um, people say um, all the time, oh, well, you've already got, it's either the old 
um, oh, well, I've had yellow fever and I've got a yellow fever card. I don't see what the problem is about a vaccine passport. We're obviously past, well, we are past understanding this is more than the vaccine pass or yeah. proof of vaccine, but I don't think a lot of people are. Um, but also, this, what have you got to hide? If you've got nothing to hide, then what's the problem? Now, I always found that quite difficult to argue against because it's quite a strong argument to say, when you actually try and form an argument, I found it difficult, other than to say, well, what's it got to do with you? It's my privacy. However, I think there is now a strong argument which people would accept, uh, a lot of people would accept. Um, two years ago, or three years ago, it was not potentially a criminal offence to consider that somebody born as a man with a penis is uh, is is a man, um, if they call themselves a woman. Whereas now, if you were to say, uh, to call that person a woman, that would be a non-crime hate incident. You would be misgendering them, and it would be registered on your criminal record if it was reported, and you might not even know about it. Now, that, of course, criminal record will be one of the things that goes onto your ID, as will your social media um, score. So if you are rated by an algorithm to be a bad person because you have the wrong political beliefs uh, for the time, then that too will go on to perhaps then you, you're not allowed, to, you haven't got the right travel, uh, you're restricted on your travel because you're classified as being in some way uh, not not a good person. So yeah. So what I'm saying is, it's all well and good saying, well, if you're not, if you've got nothing to hide, uh, or if you're not committing a crime, you've got no problem. Well, what if people invent crimes that until two years ago were just known to be a, a biological truth? I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not going into that whole argument. But what I'm saying no. is, it's but, you know, it was totally in contrary. There's no way to argue the, against that. Yeah. Few years ago. The the point is um, that that crime whatever it may be once everybody is in the system they can make anything that they want a crime it can be a crime to buy this say this even think this yeah uh, you know we, we've seen all these tightening of the, the, the there's the law they brought in in scotland where um, you could be prosecuted for things you say in your own home if someone happens to be there that finds it offensive. Um, but this whole idea of um, of social credit, well, as we know, it's advanced in China. But, I mean, the thing you, you were saying there, uh, to give a good example, um, there's an episode of Black Mirror uh, called Nosedive, right. um, which portrays a kind of utopian future uh, society where everything is rated via a social credit system. So for the benefit of people who haven't seen it, I'll, I'll just give you a, a brief example uh, without spoiling the plot if anyone wants to go and, and watch it. Um, everybody's wandering around with their phone and in the imagery on the programme, they've all got a number above their head out of five in the same way that people would rate products on Amazon or TripAdvisor. And every single thing they do, interaction, uh, people uh, can press a button on their phone and rate the person. So if you go and buy a coffee uh, and the person behind the desk is all sweetness and light, 
you can upvote them or downvote them and it will affect their score. And it affects every single interaction you have with anybody during that day. And there are things that happen which are quite disturbing. So even by associating with somebody with a lower score than you can bring your score down. Uh, so I guess that would be the equivalent of the class system, you know, historical yeah. class system. You wouldn't want to uh, people from higher class associating with the working classes. Uh, and in this example, there's a guy in the office who he's cheated on his partner or, or something like that, and he, his score's gone right down. And he's going around offering cakes to people because he's trying to get his score up. And the main character takes a cake and suddenly her phone starts beeping because her score's going down and it's all her other colleagues in the office have seen her taken, taking this cake from this guy who's out of favour and they're all voting her down. That's uh, and really once we get to scary. that, once we get to that sort of scenario, and of course the person that you buy the coffee from, all sweetness in light because they want to get you to uprate them, and it's just falseness. It's yes. that sickly smile. I, I, I have encountered it in America, where you know, mm. with the tipping culture, with people who are overly attentive and uh, 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 and it, it just feels false. Um, but the interesting thing about this episode as well was that at my stand in the park group we got talking about this and i was chatting to a lady there and i said oh yeah you must go and watch this and she said i oh, know i will it's really interesting and then she came back the next sunday and she said yeah i watched it and it was terrifying but do you know what i watched it with my 17 year old daughter who is always on Instagram and all the social media where everything's about likes. And she said, my daughter thought it was a brilliant idea yeah. and she can't wait for the world to be like that. And I thought that is that's really depressing. That is really depressing. <laughs> that's, that is, that's terrifying. I, I, I knew you were going to say that because yeah. the trouble is, um, and we're all the same. I remember having um, arguments, uh, well, not really arguments, but discussions with my father uh, whenever Facebook came out first. I don't know how long ago now, decade yeah, ago, about fifteen years ago, fifteen years. Like yeah, yeah, and, and he and and he would say, "I bloody hate this Facebook. What the hell is this all about?" And I'd say, "Well, I, I did get it then. I could see the intrusion on privacy and everything." But yeah. I said, "Well, the great thing is, Dad, it's 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 a great way to get to customers if you've got a business." Um, uh, and you know, um, if certainly if you're um, public facing, um, yeah. So so you know you can you it's free marketing effectively. You know you can um, uh, you can get to customers. You've got word of mouth. You've got reviews. So if you're running a good business, it's a great way to expand your business for free. Um, but of course, everything he said has now come to pass. Some of which I could foresee, but other yeah. stuff I didn't think it would be as bad. I mean, I think. I mean, that sounds absolutely... I will watch it. That sounds absolutely horrendous. The other thing, of course, which uh, you mentioned, was um, your interaction with other people, which I think a lot of people miss out on, the fact that, you know, you get downgraded because you're, you're mixing with the wrong people yeah. who might have the wrong beliefs and all the rest of it. Um, and it does create this undercast. Um, but um, that's already happening in terms of everyone's metadata. So everyone's phone... Yeah. Uh, with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and 3G, 4G, whatever it is that's on there. And it's going to be 5G as well, of course. Um, 
all of that information will be there'll be ai because of course this couldn't have been done by people because there's so much information but ai will enable uh, all of this to be processed so that they'll know um what you do every day yeah what shops you go to who you happen to associate with by accident or not um uh, whether you go to a protest or not, they already are yeah. already doing that um, in London. So if you ever go on a protest in London, you shouldn't take your phone with you because no. um, it, it, they will be um, uh, scraping all that information, all the metadata off your phone. So they'll know who you are, where you were, at what time. Uh, and before you know it, if somebody punched a policeman uh, 30 metres or 30 feet away from where you were, you're, you're um suspect. So... Um, yeah. All of that's happening already, but and then who do you email? Who do you phone? Who do they phone? And who do they email? And who do they know? And yes, huge network which is being recorded forever, yeah, and will be used as part of your reason to be allowed on this planet. And it's difficult to know how one can escape from it because even if you decided to take an analog lifestyle. Um, the the facial recognition and CCTV and everything everywhere, it, it, you know, and the number plate recognition, it's very hard to go anywhere or do anything without them being able to track you down. Mm. I think you'd need to go and live on some remote island or in the highlands of Scotland or, or somewhere. And um, but yeah, it, it's and it's it's hard to see really how we can stop it. I think the best we can do is is try and slow it down. Well, I, yes. I mean, it's happened so fast. That is the other thing. Yeah. I mean, I, you're saying about your um, acquaintance's 17-year-old daughter. Um, yeah. And I totally get that. But I, I have to say, to some extent, we're all guilty of it because yes. it is convenient, isn't it, to have these apps and things. I'm a bit of a techie oh, yeah. sort of geek anyway. But I was just thinking um, a few months ago now, um, I transferred my bank from one of the big five and I moved it to one of the new um, phone banks. You know, I think it's Monzo, actually. So uh, so I bank with Monzo, um, and they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. I've, it's all on my phone. Uh, I can see when a transaction happens. It pings when I get paid. It pings when I send money out. When direct debit's clear, um, I can print off a statement. I can, it, it's, I can set up a direct debit all just by face recognition and it's yeah. absolutely fantastic but um i can only take out 200 pounds a month in cash otherwise wow. i get charged um uh, I, you know like so a, they're dissuading you from using cash yes and a few months ago i realized at first it didn't bother me because i i rarely use cash because i'm i was using credit cards or phone or whatever else yeah and then of course when all this happened i suddenly started thinking well hang on a minute so i'm now thinking can i open an account with like do, do, does the post office still do an account or yeah. <laughs> i just want to go completely analog now but uh... you, you're you're right though that we are all guilty of it i mean i've always embraced technology my mm. my attitude has completely changed in the last to, to so many things in the in the last few years uh i mean i i mentioned you know that i write these these novels um i the third book in my series which i wrote about six seven years ago is set about 20 or 30 years in the future and i look back now at what i wrote and i'm championing 
driverless electric cars and um robots doing everything for everybody and um you know isn't the future wonderful and all this leisure time you know we could all go to the pub and, and get pissed and no one has to drive the car or just take us home and and all this stuff and i'm looking back at it now and i'm thinking was i really that naive it was only six years ago that i wrote this um uh, no, I'm not one for revise. I, I would never go back and revise anything that I've written. Um, I don't think because um, that's how I felt at the time. But uh, certainly, I think my my books that are set in the future are going to have a slightly more dystopian uh, angle on them in the future. But no, I mean, I was always at the forefront of technology. Um, you know, the computers in the eighties and. Um, whatever gadget i was always oh look the latest gadget got to get a tablet got to get this got to do this oh look you can do this online now and um i remember you know first getting the internet and uh you know it was like wow we can do anything this is the future and it's it do you remember the those early days of the internet how wonderful it was yeah yeah um totally um um I mean, the first time I, I think the first time I ever used the internet, I went online, didn't really know at all what I was doing. Went, I thought, well, what, where shall I go? What shall I do? So I went to the White House, of all places, yeah. to their website. And I couldn't believe, people find this hard, younger people certainly find this hard to believe now, the White House webpage came up. And I thought, wow, I'm kind of in the White House. Yeah. And I, you know, there was a forum or something, and it was, it was all very... It, I didn't know what I was doing, and I ended up getting in an argument with somebody. So that's the internet for you straight away. First time I was on it, I had an argument with somebody. Um, but it was just so weird. And as you say, it's well, it's developed tremendously. Well, but... it's, it, it, it's technology is becoming a monster. Rather than freeing us, it's potentially enslaving us. But then it has provided opportunities. I mean, there is increasing globalisation uh, as as we've discussed, but um, it has given opportunities to independent content creators. Mm. So uh, I don't publish through a traditional publisher. I, I do everything online. I, I deal with a cover artist who lives in Brazil who does all my artwork for me. I've got another lady somewhere else who does my proofreading, um, and I can publish my work on independent uh, sites and you've obviously through the big um the big players like 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 amazon mm-hmm. um and um itunes and uh, people for audiobooks that's how i do use the big companies but it, it has given me that opportunity it's given independent filmmakers and content creators who want to make videos an opportunity through uh through youtube and, and other places and also um musicians who um you know uh, what all these people you know musicians um filmmakers writers like myself all have in common um is because we don't produce content that fits the mold um we would never have got through the front door of the old gatekeepers so and and as you say it's it's a positive you know um yeah i don't know how much you know whether i'll be able to continue making a living like this for the rest of my life fingers crossed i will but um i wouldn't have had that opportunity in the old world yeah i mean as well from a business perspective you um so much could be automated and what have you as you say but and and you can reach out to 
Oh, I use the word I hate reach out. I'm, I won't say reach out again. You can speak yeah. to um, people from here, there and everywhere to get the skills that you need to import. Yeah. But also it's um, it's scalable and low overhead and also variable yeah. overhead. So yeah. from a business perspective, it's fantastic, isn't it? Um, and you you are your own boss. So, I mean, yeah. I, uh, I think many of us on our side of the argument, I said, are, are independently minded. And one of the things I hated about the corporate world was that i felt so stifled by you know if you came up with an innovation or a good idea that was good for the company often it would it would just be stifled or someone else would take the credit or you, you wouldn't it, it wouldn't do you any good you wouldn't get any benefit and um working for yourself and you sit there and you think well how can i do this how can i sell this um it's all down to you and you, you know, it, it's it's a great great way to live. I just hope that we we will continue to have those opportunities because, as you know, I mean, you've seen the, the increasing censorship mm. um, on on YouTube and other platforms. Are we going to reach a point where that gets as bad as the old media and there's certain things you you simply can't say or do? I well, I, hope I not. think it's getting there. I mean, uh, YouTube. Um... I, I absolutely love YouTube. I think it's brilliant. Mm. I think it's the most... At first, when it was all cat videos and things, I, I didn't... Yeah. I, I thought, well, what is this, really? It's just a load of rubbish. But you can you can access so much now on YouTube. But the yeah. problem, as you say, is that they are becoming so censorious that um, it's... Yeah, I mean, many of the channel... Platform. When, when I um, became really awake to what was happening with the pandemic back in sort of April, May, it was going off and looking elsewhere um, on YouTube that enabled me to discover things like UK Column News. Mm -hmm. uh, it was where I found James Dellingpole um, and several other, you know, things like um, the Guff Stream and all these other yeah. things that I, I found. And I would, would not have gone to look for those, I don't think, had all this not happened last year. And in a way, I mean, I want to try and, uh, you know, as we come towards the end of this, a positive spin. Um, I think there are a lot of people now. I know we. it's easy for us to think everybody's still asleep and watching the BBC, but a lot of people have gone out and found this other media that wouldn't have otherwise. Yes. And I think that's because they've pushed too hard and more and more people are... Are questioning and they are looking for 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 other content and if they push it off youtube they move it on to um odyssey or rumble there will always be places to go and yes and, and i think I, yeah sorry, I, I was just gonna say i i it's good that you're um you, you have put a positive spin on it and i don't yeah. wish to to completely um agree on it but yeah. um my only yeah. concern there is um, they obviously they've recognised that, which is why they are stamping on everything so much. Yeah. And the online harms bill, which is being brought in in the UK, and yeah. which is clearly being seeded, uh, uh, disgustingly, on the back of um, uh, Sir David Amos's uh, recent um, murder, the yes. fact that they were linking an Islamic uh, attack to uh, mean tweets on Twitter, uh, radicalising people. And um, I think that's pretty blatant 
uh, sort of um, propaganda aimed yes. at getting public support for more censorship, which is terrible. But um, and well, of maybe that's we will. Law, so. Maybe at some point we we will have to go more analog. I mean, a lot of what I do now, I, there's the stand in the park. Uh, there is the third Wednesday. Uh, you know, even meeting in pubs, having conversations. Uh, I mean, if all the communications, they, they talk about an internet cyber attack and it all being taken down, I mean, that's often... But maybe we need to go back to something really old-fashioned, you know, all, all um, invest in some CB radios or, <laughs> or, or, you know, some good old-fashioned stuff that's not easy to um, to track. Well, funnily enough, I, I, I was looking at CB radios just the other day on, uh, yeah. on Amazon. Um, just uh, And you can pick them up for next to nothing. But um, I read a few reviews, and there was a few people... Because when I was a kid, when I was about 16, yeah. uh, 17, 18, that sort of age, CB radios were really big. And yeah. uh, we all had them in our cars for a, a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, I remember that. And um, it was very, very popular. Well... Apparently, there's obviously a few people of my sort of age have been and bought a CB radio, and, and they were saying it's great and it works. It was in the review. It's yeah. great, and it works, but there's nobody to talk to. <laughs> you are. That's true. So, um, or, but yeah, um, perhaps that's what's what we're going to do. Perhaps we're going to get or, back or, or walkie-talkies, or, or, or anyway. I, I mean, if things did get really bad, we would have to stay in touch with each other. Yeah. Uh, but we do know places to go. I mean, I know you. Know, the, that um the photo you saw you know the Malvern Hills I know there's a place I can go on Saturday morning if I can get there mm -hmm. <laughs> where other people will be I know there's people on a Sunday morning uh and where they'll be uh people on a Wednesday evening so uh it, I think it's very important for people to get out and make those contacts in real life yes uh and there, well, I'm not quite sure what the situation with landline telephones is. I, I, there was talk of them being switched off at one point completely. Um, but um, a lot of people don't use them, do they? No, no. But uh, it's, it's what, going back to something about filling in a form, I, I want to put my home phone number on the form because I know they can't send text messages on it or, you know, it, it, they would have to actually phone me. Well, Exactly. I mean, well, I mean, this is a problem because my mother is of an age where um, she's never really used a mobile phone, and yeah. um, it's always flat and it's always sitting in a kitchen drawer somewhere. So um, she's now at the point where, when she does her banking or when she orders something on Amazon or whatever, the, the you know there's this two two um, two level um, verification thing, two step verification. And yeah. she has to have a mobile phone. And as you say, um, I mean, so I end up using my mobile phone. So yeah. I'm constantly getting random texts with security codes and things because, um, you know, she can't work it out on, on, on hers. But um, Yeah, that, that two-step verification thing is a nuisance. But, um, again, it, it defeats the, the purpose because I've got it on mine, but I've got my phone linked to my computer. So when I put the thing in on the computer... <laughs> and it sends the, the message. It pops up on the screen anyway. So, I've had I've had Apple verifications. I've 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 gone into some sort of Apple thing, and it's all Google. And it's come, it's it's sent the verification to the to the um, to the whatever I'm using. So I I, I access this on my phone, 
And then what it should do, as you say, is it should send it to your iPad or your computer, yeah. something that's already registered. And for some bizarre reason, it pops up on my phone. I think, well, that doesn't really achieve much. <laughs> it's yeah. on my phone. But yeah, I, I see the reason for fraud control. But the problem with all of this, a lot of people I've seen on Twitter have said, well, good luck trying to control me. I just won't have a smartphone. Ha. Well, but, um, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's almost impossible not to have one. Exactly. I mean, I mean, That's the problem, isn't it? I don't I mean, think that they've they've thought that no, through, really. The only... <laughs> I, I bet mine is sitting on my desk at the moment here, but I don't use it hardly at all. The only reason I ever take it out uh, with me is because I my, my kids, I've got two boys, they're 14 and 11, so they're old enough I could leave them in the house for a couple of hours to go out shopping mm -hmm. or go out for a drink. But they need to be able to call me. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, if, if I didn't have dependents or or people, uh, you know, I don't always take it. Like, they're at school today, so I went out this morning um, to do some shopping, uh, and I didn't take it with me because I didn't need mm. to. Uh, but how long will it be until, you know, not taking your phone out of the house will be um the equivalent of going out naked <laughs> you, you literally cannot go out without it. it it's yeah i mean i funnily enough on, on that very subject and this is a long time ago this must be mm. i don't know how long ago but a few years after we got used to basically going out to meet going to a business meeting you're going to meet somebody in a motorway service area for example yeah. um okay i'll meet you halfway at so and so and um it used to be when i first started work you had to set a specific time, place, uh, and, and what do you look like, or or what will you be yeah. carrying a bag, or so. Otherwise, it would be a totally wasted journey. And then over time, of course, you have your phone. You just go right. Okay, I'll see you there at twelve. Yeah, okay. And you get there and you ring and you know you, you find each other. And one day, yeah. I, I had that really easygoing arrangement. Drove to the motorway service area and then realised, or the hotel or whatever, then realised I hadn't got my phone with me, and. Um, I did feel naked because you suddenly think, oh my God, yeah. well, how am I going to, I don't know what they look like or, you know. So, uh, yeah, we're very reliant on them. But as you say, I think more than anything, it's the, it's the metadata, it's the apps, it's the information that they are collating um, and we, the restrictions we, they can put on your life. Yeah. Um, and it's crept up on us. Uh, like, like a lot of things, it, you know, like the vaccine passport just for the vaccine or the mobile phone was just a phone initially but more and more things have been added to it and everyone's because you know it's our our phone it's our camera it's 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 everything yeah yeah i think somebody ought to try and i know people are doing it but it would be great if, if somebody could explain by example a bit like that black mirror episode the nosedive i'm gonna i'm yeah. gonna watch that how it works as you say that the only problem is there are going to be a large percentage of the population that are probably just going to go oh wow that's cool i like that yeah which uh is really really quite depressing um because I, before we were awake and technology was coming along we we i said before that's what my attitude would have been um yeah yeah before but i never thought about the implications and what's happened with covid and Everything else I, I, that's been pushed on us, uh, uh, as I say, it's changed my attitude. And my hope is that other people have gone through that same process at the same time. And one of the reasons why I think people are 
is because the pushing has become too hard and it is relentless and it's it was the same with covid climate change and the various other issues we talked about i believe that there must be a point where the law of diminishing returns sets in because i mean take i've never i don't want to go deeply into the climate change thing again but i've always been quite skeptical about that you know Mm -hmm. that climate change is a natural thing but in terms of environmental concerns things like you know recycling our bottles and uh, and paper and all that you know but I think most people would have been on board with that. Uh, so, you know, we'd sort out our rubbish and do this stuff. And, you know, people would say concerns about, you know, environmental disasters would happen, um, you know, and, and people would, ha- would, would be genuinely concerned. But when you get to the point, and I do occasionally dip into the TV news to see what they're saying, or the TV in general. I know a lot of people don't even have a license now. Every single thing you see on these channels, whether it be a, a soap, the news, the adverts, it's just bang, bang, bang in your face all the time. The same message over and over and over again. Now, maybe with the other type of people that we talked about earlier, that psychological effect drums it into their brain and takes them on board. But I think with a lot of other people, it's... You get to the point where I'm absolutely bloody sick of this and I'm going to be less supportive of the cause because you're starting to annoy me now. Mm. And I think a lot of people must be getting to that point. I think so. Well, I think the Matrix uh, red pill, blue pill thing yeah. is the perfect uh, analogy for... Because once you, you know, say, once you've taken the red pill... You cannot unsee it, can you? Once, no. once you've seen something turns you onto it, and once you've seen it, you see it in pretty much everything. Um, yeah. And it's so obvious as well, and you just yeah. think, well, how on earth did I not see this? But um, Well, was it, was it always there and I didn't see it, or has it got worse? I think yes, there's probably yeah. a bit of both. I think it yes, was always there, but it wasn't as blatant as it is now. Yes, and of course... Because things like, you know, if you only had four or five newspapers and three or four TV channels, then because As I we mean, did. That, yeah, I mean that nineteen seventies uh, film Network. Do you remember that? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. With um, I forgot who was the actor in that. At um, he has a nervous breakdown effectively on TV, and um, I think he blows his. Might blow his brains or threats. I can't recall out. that, but I've seen other films like Falling Down with Michael Douglas, which yes. is a similar sort of I've had enough for the system. It's very so, similar to that. Similar um, idea. Yeah. But it's more a bit more cerebral because he yeah. what he's actually saying is network news is effectively what we're talking about. And he's yeah. he's saying the same. He's saying network news it's it's total bull. And yeah. it's all about um commercial interests and pushing a narrative and ignoring what's happening and all the rest of it. And um, he just stands up one day on on his news show. He actually becomes a little bit like a, a very, very angry Neil Oliver and starts becoming <laughs> a bit of a bit of a guru. And everyone yeah. tunes in to listen to him. And he always tells it as it is and everybody agrees. And and he becomes, a, um, a, 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 ironically, he becomes a, a star because... You know, his ratings go up. And then he's kind of under pressure to always be um, 
a bit like sort of Piers Morgan, if you like, to be that sort of um, uh, always say something outrageous so that he can get the ratings going up. Yeah. And then he basically bucks the trend. He, he realizes what's happening. And uh, yeah, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And he basically he starts saying to on, on, the, on the show, stop listening to what I'm saying, open the window at home and yell it out the window. And yeah, the, one of the execs is there and suddenly starts hearing all these people yelling out the window. So I think, yes, it has been around for certainly 40, 50 years. And probably before that, you know, probably 150 years ago, the Times was the paper of record and everybody believed everything that was in it. So I suppose it's always been there, but um, it's just harder to keep a... Keep a a lid on it now, isn't it? With all these it is, uh, because uh, there's there's a more globalist nature and, uh, and a, a, almost a single agenda now, and it, it it seemed like the papers were competing against each other and and taking different points of view in the past. Maybe that was an illusion. I don't know, but certainly with the narratives now, it's like they've got everybody on board. The you know the papers, as we know. Um, because it's been talked about by others um that they are financially dependent on, on on the people funding them uh and you know silly papers you've got all of the celebrities you've got pretty much every institution you could name is is all pushing exactly the same message and the fact that there is no discussion and no dissent that that's a a, a massive red flag to me and that certainly was one of the things that, that that would have woken me up. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jason, I think we've we've kind of gone round a circle there, so it's almost a perfect place to um, to to bring it to an end. Before we do, though, um, yes, I just wanted to. So your um, your um, yeah, successful uh, published writer that is making a living which is fantastic way to make a living i think writing my brother writes but uh, he doesn't yeah. make a living doing it unfortunately um but uh can you how would we get to see if we wanted to read some of your works where would we where's the best place to go okay um well my series of novels is under the umbrella of the time bubble and there are 11 of them uh, soon to be 12 and you can get them um uh via uh, audiobook on various platforms such as uh, iTunes and uh, Audible. Uh, paperbacks, um, you, I, I, I'm loathe to say this, but the easiest way to get them and most economical way to get them is, is, is through Amazon. I'm not selling them through my own website at the moment because uh, it's not cost effective, but you can also order them in independent bookshops if you go in and ask. Okay. Uh, and then obviously there are the the ebooks um the, uh, the the for for kindle which is where i sell most of uh, most of my um uh copies to be honest um right. but uh, in the first place i would say go to the amazon website and have uh, and have a look or okay, go well, to my gonna... or, or or go to my website oh and also actually on my because uh, I do do other bits of writing as well. I, there's a short story I put up on my website a little while ago, which I called um, "The Meat Elite," which uh, it was a little dystopian tale of a a waitress um, uh, who hadn't eaten meat for two years because it was banned. This is in the future, but she's a, a 
a sort of government meeting and they're all sitting there laughing and eating fillet steaks and such like, which uh, <laughs> uh, was quite a, 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 an amusing little tale. I, I'm thinking of doing more of these sort of short stories um, based on things that have been going on. But uh, my website is um, jasonairs.co.uk, so it's quite easy to, to find. Okay, well, um, I will put those links as well uh, in the description under this uh, podcast, both on YouTube and uh, it'll also go up on Rumble and um, add on to the podcast and onto the website as well, to my website. So, um, so everybody, if you are interested in delving into the time bubble, um, uh, obviously start at the first novel. Is it is it a episodic? Do you have to start at the beginning to see? They not necessarily. They 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 are designed to be a series, but you can also read them standalone. And the first novel, um, I often suggest to people that you might not want to start with that one because it tracks a group of people through their whole lives. And the people in the first book, uh, they are all teenagers and it has a rather teen feel to it. And it, it can um, make people believe that the entire series is a teen series had i been planning it out better from the start i probably wouldn't have done it that way but right. if you wanted to read a standalone one i would suggest um going for book seven in the series which is called uh midlife crisis uh which is about a middle-aged man getting the opportunity to go back and live six days of his life of his life over again um revisiting wow. you know his teenage years and settling a few scores and um we all like to I do think that, that. <laughs> i think that i think that's my personal favorite of the ones that i've written so well that certainly appeals to me yeah and i i seem to have a midlife crisis about every seven years so um yes so, um, no, no, no no one less illustrious than than one of our uh Dellingpole friends is uh reading that at the moment and he he gave me some very nice feedback on it on saturday so i was quite pleased oh, about that Oh well, I might well invest in that then, and uh, we could talk about it when we when we meet, hopefully in December. Yes, I'll look forward to that in uh, in Ledbury. It's it's always a good night. I'd say if anybody that's listening here um, that is well in the area or even not in the area, we had a, a chap. Um, I don't know if you come across him called Michael Livesley, who does the yes. Nice Things podcast. He came all the way down from from Liverpool a, a couple of months ago to it. So. We get people from far and wide and it is just wonderful to be having a few beers in a place where you know everybody else is on board with what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's like, well, I spoke to Michael actually on the hit, so um, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. There's um, quite a lot of people I feel I'm, I know quite well now that I have never yes. met, so it would be nice to meet up. Oh, and, you should uh, get Michael on, on here. He He's always entertaining. We, ha we had him on one of the oh, early ones, actually. On. One of have the very you, early oh, ones. Maybe um, you did. And maybe I've yes, I may already have heard it. <laughs> right, it's possible. I mean, there's so many podcasts. I say uh, there's more people yeah. that have podcasts and don't have podcasts these days. I think, but um, well, I'm thinking uh, of starting one myself, but um, oh, it's just finding the time to do it a lot on top of everything else. So, well, it is. I mean, I've I've really enjoyed it, and uh, as I say, they always tend to go um, just over the two hour. We're about the two hour mark, but yeah, uh, I think 
for what you know, I think a lot of people just listen to podcasts with them in the background, and yeah. um, you know they'll take something from some and they'll not take something from others, and that's how I I deal with podcasts. And most of them I'll listen all the way through, and every now and again you get one that's not really addressing something you're interested in, and you'll yeah. turn it off. But uh, no, but I you, think they're a great way you, of communicating. You get to know the people that that are on them and uh, and interact, and then, and then you meet them in real life. I mean, I met. Um, uh, Simon Roberts and Hector from from the Guff stream up at um, James Dellingpole's live event uh, a few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. uh, and you know people turn up to these um, these things at Ledbury or wherever, and uh, and you realise, oh, you're the guy that does that podcast, and uh, it, it's just so wonderful making these connections in real life. No, I'm looking forward to it, really am. But um, yeah, fantastic. Well, Jason, uh, thank you very much for your time. Good to talk to you. And, Thank um, you. Uh, I, 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 I'm particularly. It's. I think the Vax passport digital ID thing. We are at one on that. I mean, I. Yeah. And you know, that's I mean, my. I, that is my number one issue for certain. Yes. Yeah. I, I, it is a massive concern. I, I don't think enough people fully appreciate. But um, anyway, uh, yes, I will. Um, I, I, I'm going to go and make myself a cup of tea and try and buck myself up so that uh, the dystopian future that seems to be looming doesn't feel quite so close. Well, let's just uh, hope it doesn't arrive for another, well, 30 or 40 years. Yeah, that'd do me. That'd <laughs> Until be nice. we're not bothered anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't know what's going on anyway. That's like, yeah. if, we're, if we're even here. But yeah, um, no, that's brilliant. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. I uh, really appreciate your time. So that's Jason Ayres, um, uh, nowadays writer, previously market researcher. Um, Gufstream sounds like Gufstream aficionado and third wednesday attendee and also stand in the park i think you said so um yes uh, not alone in any of those a lot of my other guests have been involved in all of those things jason thank you very much for your time and um hope to speak to you again soon thank you very much bye